Well, praise the Lord on this snowy morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, let me begin with a quote. I love the theologian, the writer, A.W. Tozer. Anybody a fan of Tozer? Look at all the hands. He's an incredible writer, a Christian who just writes about knowing God. And one of his quotes at the beginning of his book called uh, The Knowledge of the Holy. Anybody, Anybody read this book, Knowledge of the Holy by Tozer? An incredible book. He starts off with this quote, and maybe you've heard this quote before. It's a beautiful quote. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And what he means by that is, well, well, not everyone believes in God, but everyone has thoughts about God. Let's, let's say an atheist will have thoughts about God, not beliefs, but thoughts about what Christians think and who God uh, is to them. They have thoughts about God, and those thoughts are the most important thing about us as humans. Because whatever you think about God, well, that guides your life. It guides the answers to the questions, the deep questions of life and the human experience. It guides who we are and what we believe or, or don't believe about God. What we think when, when it comes to God is the most important thing about us. And I preface this sermon with that because what we're going to talk about today is God. We're going to have thoughts about who he is, specifically the Son. So we are in a sermon series. Anybody know what the name of the sermon series is? It's a question. Who is God? Good. And we've been talking about God the Father, and then now, between now and Easter, we're going to be talking about God the Son. And so right now, there's this season before Easter. Uh, in many churches, they have a name for it. Starts with an L, ends with an int. It's called... <laughs> <laughs> it's called Lent. How many of you are giving up something for Lent? Let me see your hands. Anybody? A couple people are giving up something for Lent. Some of you are like, I don't know. Lent is this time, uh, traditionally, where Christians will fast something. They'll give up some sort of food. Uh, early church tradition is that they would give up meat products, and so people... Christians in the early church years would, would be vegan, and I've taken on this custom, this little tradition, in the season of Lent to go vegan. So on Tuesday will be exactly 40 days before Easter, and so on Tuesday I will go vegan, and lots of you, I know this is Manitou, and all of you are eating healthy, many of you are vegan like all the time. Good for you. It's hard for me. It's a really, it's like I'm really giving up a lot to go vegan. And so I will do that. And I encourage you guys to give up something for Lent. This is a challenge. So, you know, you come to church, you come to New Life Manitou, and I'm going to challenge you. I challenged you at the beginning of this year. Do you remember? Lots of you have said that you've done this and stuck with it. I challenged you at the beginning of 2022 to add five minutes to your quiet time. And I said, if you, if you don't have a reoccurring, everyday quiet time will then start with a five-minute devotion, whether that's prayer, scripture reading, a meditation, a song, a worship uh, a song, or something like that. Add five minutes. If you already have some time that you spend every day, add five minutes to that. And some of you have done that. And some of you have been faithful till today, still doing that motion of adding five minutes to your quiet time. And so here's yet another challenge. And you could accept the challenge. The gauntlet is being thrown down upon you to give up something 
for Lent. A lot of people I know give up social media. They give up uh, TV. They give up alcohol. They give up Netflix. They give up uh, things in their life. Something that maybe the Lord will bring to your mind before Tuesday. You give it up for Lent until the season of, uh, to, through the Lent season till Easter. This is a challenge for you. While we, this whole time, throughout these Sundays, are going to be talking about God the Son. So today starts the sub-sermon series about talking about Jesus as God. The title of this sermon, let's dive right in, shall we? Boop, into the title. Title is Jesus is Fully God and Fully human. That's the title. That's going to be point one, two, and three. My sermons since Christmas, if you haven't noticed, have gotten really, really simple. I, I, I always had like three points, and I guess I still have three points, but they're all the same point, which is really just one point said three times, because I really don't want you to miss something. Every Sunday, I'm wanting you to get one thing, and for that whole week to carry you thinking through, and this is very important, that Jesus is fully God and fully Human. So let's turn to a passage of scripture where Jesus claims to be God. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. He claimed to be God, and I'll show you one of the many passages today where he did that. So turn into your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 22. If you brought your Bible, good for you. If you didn't bring your Bible, but someone next to you did, Give them a little thumbs up. Say, good job, bring in your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, I'm teasing you. If you didn't bring your Bible, we, we always put it up on the screens as well. Would you stand with me? Uh, John chapter 10, as we read the gospel, um, it says this, verse 22, John chapter 10. They came, uh, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. Uh, They called it back then the festival of dedication. There is a Jewish holiday uh, in winter, usually around our Christmas time. It is this festival, but we usually call it Hanukkah. And so it's the festival of Hanukkah. Verse 23, Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Verse 24, must have been lots of Jews gathered there because of the festival. But the Jews who were gathered there around him uh, said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Verse 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. And by the way, the answer was yes, he is the Messiah. The works I do in my father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Listen to this. Pay attention. Lean into this right now. Verse 30. I and the father are one. Again, the Jewish opponents, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, what does it say? Do you see it? Claim to be God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ is in our midst. Let's pray. Lord, we pray to you right now. Jesus, you are fully God. 
We, we declare that, we hope, we believe. Jesus, you are God. You came to this world as one of us and you are fully able to sympathize as one of us. Lord, thank you for coming into this world as one of us, fully God, fully human. We praise your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and all God's people at New Life Manitou on the snowy morning, shouted, amen. amen. All right, you may be seated. God is good. What is going on in this passage? First of all, what holiday is it? Do you remember in the passage? Hanukkah, the festival, as they call it, of dedication at Jerusalem. Must have been a ton of people in the temple, around the temple. And Jesus is in one of the sections of the temple called Solomon's Colonnade. And they're asking him, tell us just plainly, just tell us once and for all, are you the Messiah? And what does Jesus do? Well, he kind of twists the question back. and says, I've already told you. And the answer, of course, was, yes, he is the Messiah. He has said that. And he goes around saying, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep know me. They listen to my voice. And then he goes on and says some very bold words. He says, I and the, and the Father are one. Imagine someone saying that. Wow. I mean, what would your reaction be? The reaction of the people listening to this is they picked up stones. Why? in order to throw at him, in order to hurt him and put him down and kill him for blasphemy. Why? Because he, it says here, because a mere man is claiming to be God. There's, there's a couple things here that really upset the Jews at the time. First, Jesus is calling uh, God Father. That really upset the Jews at the, at the time because they wouldn't even say the name of God. Like God gave his name to Moses, I am. The Hebrew word is Yahweh. They would never even say that. They were trying to make God holy and other, which is a good thing. But they wouldn't even say the name of God. And here Jesus comes along saying that God is his father. And they wanted to stone him just for that. If you want a cross-reference, go uh, write down John 5, 18, where Jesus calls God father. And the Jews at that point pick up stones in order to kill him because he's claiming that God is his own father. And here he goes like a million steps further and says, I and the father are one. That's, in, that's crazy. It's what a claim. What a bold claim. He is claiming to be God. And people in this, uh, in this uh, context realize that's what he's saying. And they pick up stones in order to kill him because he's committing blasphemy. A mere human is claiming to be God. But we believe it to be true. Jesus, here's the point. Is this the title of the sermon? Point number one, Jesus is fully God and fully human. I'm going to get a little nerdy on you for just a second. Anybody like the study of theology? Anybody like getting a little nerdy? I see those hands. I see your hand, Alan. He's a theology professor. I see some other hands too. I was very privileged. I got to go uh, after college to a Bible school. I got my master's in divinity. Very, very privileged. Thank you, mom and dad, uh, watching online. Uh, they supported me financially, helped me through school. I got to go straight from my master's degree to getting my doctorate in, in studying the Bible. I love the study of scripture. I know some of you have been to Bible school as well, and there's a contingency among Amongst us that are really nerdy and love getting theological and into the text of scripture and study and church history. And some of you right now, 
are, are, are maybe not there. And that's, I understand that. It's hard for me to like, why wouldn't you get excited? A good theology, this is, stuff is awesome. But I get that. There's, you know, different people have different things that they enjoy. So what I will do is something fun. If you're new to New Life Manitou, we do nerd alerts. I've been doing this for like a decade now. And it goes back to my days of teaching college and teaching a college ministry Sunday school where every week would be a teaching. Uh, this is more of a preaching, but I'm gonna take this next little section and teach some good theology here. And so I have three nerd alerts right in a row. If you've been to New Life Manitou, you know what to do. This is nerd alert number one, nerd alert. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll just jump right in. The nerd alert is this phrase, hypostatic union. If you're taking notes, hypo, H-Y-P-O, and then the word static, union. Hypostatic union is the theological phrase given to the point, the, the title of this sermon, that Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time. It's not a half and half. It's not a 50-50. It's not like two sides of the same coin. It's not that. Jesus isn't on one side God and on the other side human. That, that's not how it works. He's fully God and fully human in this bizarre metaphor. It'd be like there's two coins, but they're, but they're one. It, it's hard to explain. And the, the, the explanation is the, the term given for this hard to explain thing is called the hypostatic union. Because what we don't believe is like, a, is like a mix between God and human. Um, like the, the horse man thing. Those of you that are into like the, 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 the fables, the fairy, the Lord of the Rings, baloney and all that. Some of you, I just offended like half of you. What's the, what's the half horse man thing sent okay sorry sorry i just shamed the lord of the rings uh, the movies are just too long but but gosh anyways what is it called again starts with a centaur gosh keep me on track please a centaur is what a half human half horse and it's really not either you're looking at this thing and it's a it's like well that this thing isn't a man it's like got horse legs and it's clearly not a horse right it's a man that is not like jesus is not like that it's not a mixture between his humanity and his divinity Jesus is fully God and fully human. And we'll talk later, after we get through these nerd alerts, we'll talk through why this is so important in the theological beliefs and structures that we're making of, of what this means for our salvation and what this means for us, that he is able to sympathize with us as humans. So that's nerd alert number one, the hypostatic union. Uh, nerd alert number two, nerd alert. Okay. Uh, this comes, this is a piece of church history. Uh, if we look at church history, there's something called the Nicene Creed. It's a very important creed in church history around the early 300s, very early 300s, where people for the first time in the Roman Empire were able to gather together. Christianity was uh, considered illegal and you could be martyred for being a Christian. Christianity was legalized. And so bishops from various regions of the known world came together and composed like a one paragraph statement of this is what we believe as Christians. We know it as the Nicene Creed at New Life Church. This is our statement of faith. At the end of this service, we will stand and we will say this creed together in unison, declaring our faith and what we believe. And this creed comes from uh, people at that time standing on the shoulders of the church fathers and mothers who proclaimed these things that we believe. And the most uh, like obvious one in the creed, you'll see it when we, when we read it together in unison at the end of this service, is that Jesus is God. God says, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one essence 
with the Father. A whole section of the creed given over to God, Jesus being fully God. Well, where did the people in the creed get this from? Well, this is what the the church fathers and mothers had already been declaring. Well, where did they get it from? Well, they're only like one generation removed from the people who knew the people. There were eyewitnesses. John, Mark, Matthew, Luke, the, the ones who recorded the gospels. The one like John, who was an eyewitness, who wrote the account of Jesus at the temple during the celebration of Hanukkah, where he proclaims that he is one with the Father. And then people recognize him. He's claiming to be God. Yes, he did. And so in church history, it is clear from like day one, Jesus himself, his ministry, that he was claiming to be God and the church stood on this truth as core. And this is what makes Christianity different than every other religion on the face of the earth. That Jesus isn't just a good prophet, a good teacher pointing to the way. No, he is God. He is the way. He is the light of the world. He is God from God. He is God himself. So that's, that's uh, nerd alert number two. Nerd alert number three. Last one. Thank you. Um, this one has to do with a guy named Arius. He's a bad guy. And I say kind of a bad guy because he was condemned as a heretic. And we should, uh, with other religions and with heresies, contend against, debate against. Like, we should be respectful, of course. But when a heresy comes into the church, what we need to get rid of it, eradicate it, correct it. This is not right. And uh, something that the people had to correct at the time of the Nicene Creed was this very small minority of Christians following this teacher named Irenaeus. And he was someone who was saying uh, that Jesus wasn't fully fully God. He looked at a scripture like this. We'll put it on the screen. Colossians 1, 15. It says that the sun is the image of the invisible God. Okay, I get that. Like the sun is the image. Uh, God is invisible, but the sun is, is the image of God. And then it says the firstborn over all creation. What does that mean? It's an interesting phrase. Well, this guy, the bad guy in the story, Irenaeus said that, well, this means that God was, uh, God gave birth to Jesus. Like Jesus uh, was a created being of God. And, and we, we say, no, 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 that, that's not what this means. You know, uh, the, what this means, let me just give you a spoiler for how we interpret this, is that in the ancient world, the firstborn son, well, he got Almost everything. He, he took on the name and the job of the father. In our day and age, like I'm a dad uh, and I try, I have four little boys. I try my hardest to do things fairly. You know, good parents, like anybody else is a parent, you try to make everything fair. My parents watching online, you try, they try to make everything fair between me and my brother. Last night, case in point, we had, uh, the, my kids don't get soda very often. We had a Sprite. We had a little thing of Sprite. We got four little kids' cups, and I was pouring the Sprite into all four cups. My wife can attest, I literally had a spoon, and, and one had a little bit more, so I spooned out some Sprite and put it in the other one. This is what I do as a good father. I try to make everything equal. But this is not the ancient Jewish idea of how uh, like sons and daughters got what what was fair to them. In the ancient Jewish world, I'm very sorry to say, daughters were not a part of like what the father had, that they had to marry and they had to go outside, that they didn't. I'm sorry, that's just the way this ancient world was. And the secondborns, very sorry to 
say, a thirdborn, fourthborn, very sorry to say that like a fifthborn son, they were getting hardly anything compared to the firstborn son. The firstborn son had the responsibility, the name, the, the job, the land, the, the, uh, like the, the share, the main share of land from the father when the father passed away. And so going back to this passage, we could put it back up there where it says that the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We would say, well, Jesus is like the firstborn. He has the responsibility, the name, the power of his father. That's how we interpret this. Well, Irenaeus, uh, he said that, that God, that Jesus is a creation of God. Let me give you a, a little drawing. You okay with that? So I have here a piece of paper. I'll put up here God, and then I'll draw a line. Everything above the line is God. Everything below the line is God's creation. And so all of everything in existence can be broken down into one or two things, either God or his creation. And at the top of creation, we have humans. I'm a really good drawer, so I will draw a, a guy and a girl. Look at them. Can you see them? They can't see them. They're, it's really good. If you're in the back, you're like, wow, that's really incredibly good, well drawn. So human beings, angels, you know, the high things in creation. And down here at the bottom are things like snakes. Anybody like snakes? No. Anybody like, I'll draw a spider. Here's a spider. Anybody not like spiders? That's a spider. Uh, cats would be down here. Uh, I'm allergic to cats. I just don't like them. You know what I really don't like? Bats. Anybody with me? Like the nasty flying rodents and the rabies and they bite you. Uh, one of my hobbies is caving and the caving like mascot is a bat. So I hang out with like caving friends. This is what I do in my spare time. And they're like all talking about bats and bat conservation and bats this and bats this. And I'm just like, ugh, who cares? Bats. So there, there here's a bat down here. Uh, that's a picture of a bat uh, down here. Anyway, so here's the order of creation. And all non-living things would be here too. Earth, uh, sky, uh, everything that is not God is God's creation. It's down here. And where Irenaeus wanted to place Jesus was right here. This circle would represent Jesus. Irenaeus said, he's the firstborn of creation. He's the, he's the thing that, that, that God made first. He's the thing. This is, this is what Irenaeus would say. He's, he's down here in creation. And what we say as Christians is no, no, no. That is not where Jesus is. Do you want to know where Jesus is? What we hold to, what we hope, what we declare. We say that Jesus is right here. JC, Jesus Christ, fully with God. He is God. John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, fully. Jesus wasn't, Jesus fully God. He wasn't created. He was fully God. He created all things. In fact, if you read, if you continue to read, uh, I'll give it to you as a homework assignment, this passage in Colossians verses 16 through 19, you will see things like, for in him all things were created. You would see that all things have been created through him. Verse 17, he's before all things. In him all things hold together. Verse 18, he is the head. Uh, same verse, he is the beginning. Beginning, verse 19, all the fullness of God dwells in 
Jesus. This is the right interpretation of this passage that Jesus claimed to be God because he was. And this is an important thing. We're talking theology and nerdy stuff right now, but this is very important. And I'll get into just a minute why this is so important. But this thought of Arianism, that Jesus is a creation of God, this is something that's alive and well today. There's other religions similar to Christianity, but very different. I would, I would just say respectfully just different than, than Christianity as we know it, creedal orthodox Christianity. Uh, I have friends who are Mormons, uh, good people, but they would say Jesus is not fully God. And and to that, I would say, well, I I respectfully disagree because Jesus is fully God to us. Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing. They would would say that Jesus is is maybe a good teacher. Jesus maybe is a savior. But they would make a line and say, no, Jesus is a creation. And we would say, no, 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 no. We respectfully uh, disagree that we would say Jesus is fully God. I have friends who are just down the road in Manitou at the the, uh, roundabout down there. There's a coffee shop called the Mate Factor. Great coffee, great green tea called Mate. Uh, And in that uh, coffee house, it's run by uh, a religious organization called the 12 Tribes. Good people, but they would say, and we would, we would differentiate ourselves with them. They would say, Jesus is not fully God. And we would say, no, 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 no. That we believe he fully, he truly is God. So I'll say the same point. I'll say the title of this sermon again. Jesus is fully God and fully human. So far, we've been talking again and again about Jesus being fully God. Let's talk for a minute about his humanity. It says in scripture that Jesus cried. He hungered. He thirsted. He was tired. He slept. He needed to be alone. He was in agony and anguish. He was tempted. He suffered. He was betrayed. He fully was one of us, a human. And because of that, he is fully able to sympathize. Let me preach to you for just a minute. I think about all the things going on in our world today. I think about the, the war in Ukraine. I think about uh, prayer requests. The, the guy uh, usually sits here, Mike, uh, was texting me yesterday saying he knows a woman who's in the Ukraine. She's pregnant, like nine months pregnant, uh, trying to get out, of, trying to escape. Her city's being bombed. Russians are coming in. Lord, have mercy. We, we, we share prayer requests as a church, as a volunteer team. Uh, we, we have a volunteer team at this church, which is an open invitation for anyone. But before uh, a church uh, on Sundays, we always gather at 925 and we share prayer requests. And, and in our own family, we have the, the effects of sickness and cancer and in our extended family. Like, like, Lord, would you have your mercy in our church? There is death and disease and suffering and depression. And Lord, someone could ask, well, where is God in all of this? Well, because we declare that Jesus fully came as one of us human, he knows what it's like to suffer. He fully took on sin and suffering um, and, and broke it and, and destroyed sin and death on the cross. But believing that he was fully human gives us sort of an answer. I'm using air quotations right now. An answer to the problem of evil saying, well, where is God in all this suffering? Well, he's with us. He has suffered as one of us. He fully was one of us. And this just isn't, you know, pie in the sky theology. This is really important stuff that we can say to those people who ask us, like, where is God in war, in this devastation and sickness? Where is God? Well, he's with us. He has suffered as we have suffered. And he knows what it's like to fully be one of us. So he's fully human 
And he's fully God. He's able to save us up out of our situations. You know, I, I think about the, um, uh, uh, there's a really bad metaphor uh, of like that God, when he became Jesus, just put on a Jesus uh, or like a human suit. Have you ever seen this? And it's kind of, it's a weird metaphor because it's like, no, God didn't just put on, you know, a suit, like a Halloween suit of humanity. No, he full, God fully became one of us. And because he is fully, fully God, he is able to fully save us from where we're at. Let me close with this uh, sort of modern day parable. It's, it's called a man fell into a hole. A man falls into a hole. It's a deep hole. He can look up and see the sky, but it's so deep he can't get out. It's steep. It's muddy. There's no way he could ever climb to the top of this hole. And different people representing, I'll kind of just tell you what the parable means, representing different religions come by the hole and look down. And one person representing kind of the Eastern religions looks down at the man and his situation down in the depths of this hole and says, well, maybe if you just meditate, you will realize that there is no hole. And he walks away. And think about like the situation of finding yourself in a deep, dark Whole. I mean, people that talk about anxiety and depression and addictions will often use this metaphor of like feeling down in an, like an unbelievably dark hole that they cannot climb out. Someone else representing uh, other Eastern religion comes and looks down in the hole and sees the man in the hole and says, well, maybe if you just live a good life down there and, and keep up and, and there's, there's karma and maybe when you die, you will be reincarnated up out of the hole. And this, this person goes away. Another person uh, comes up, this person representing maybe Islam and that religion looks into the hole, sees this man and says, well, if you're good down there and you obey these rules and you pray five times a day and do this and that, well, then maybe when you die, you will be out of the hole in another place. And that person walks away. Finally, someone with love in their eyes. This person is different from all of the other founders of, of, of other religions. This person with love looks into the hole and says, what do you want me to do for you? Think about those words. Jesus often asked that in the gospels. Someone was blind and Jesus, clearly, what, what do they want? They want to see, but Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And the man in the hole says, I want to get out of this hole. So Jesus takes a rope and lowers himself down into the hole. He gets to the bottom of the hole and Jesus embraces the man. And the man thanks Jesus for coming into the hole. He's been so lonely. He's been scared. He, he thought he would never see another person. And here they are embracing. And Jesus is, is, is with the man. The man's crying and thanking him. And then because he's fully God. So he fully descends into the hole because he's fully one of us human. But because he's fully God, he is able to climb up out of the hole, carrying the man to the top of the hole. This is the message of Jesus. This is, this is what we believe. Because he's fully human, he's down with us, one of us. Because he's God, he is fully able to break the effects of sin and death. This is the gospel. This is why at the end of every sermon, we have a prayer team. And it's, it's our joy to, to welcome people, to come pray for, for people who are feeling like they are down in a hole, for God to lift them up. We pray prayers of healing. We pray prayers of salvation at the altar. I'll be down here. Other people on our prayer team will be down here.
But as we close this sermon, I want to go back to uh, what I said we were going to do. We want to proclaim the Nicene Creed. We want to proclaim these words of our faith that have held us together as Christians in the church for thousands and thousands of years. Would you stand with me as we proclaim the Nicene Creed? It's, uh, it's uh, about a paragraph long, and it's a declaration. You'll hear the words in it where we say who Jesus is. But let's say this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, life from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, Through him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. As the worship band comes forward, let me lead us in prayer. And then Brett is going to lead us to the table, the communion table. And I think about Jesus, fully God coming to this earth and on the night, that that last night he was on earth and by his own will, what did he decide to do? How did he, God himself, want to be remembered? He wanted to be remembered as someone who ate with his people. And he would say, this is my body, this is my blood broken for you, shed for you. So it's in this mindset as, as Brett will come and lead us that we pray. Lord, we pray to you right now and we thank you that you are, we declare, we hope that you are fully God. We put our full faith in you, Jesus, that you are fully God, that you became fully one of us. God became one of us. And Lord, we, we, we believe these words. The theology behind these words is the most important thing about us. We, we began this sermon saying that the things that we think about of you, God, are the most important things about us. And Lord, we believe that. We, we, we say that you are God. You are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We give our lives to you because, Lord, you have given your life to us. And we receive that now at the table.